care about the scoring accolades. I don't care about the, the reputation. I just do what's needed to win. My mentality was I was better than him. How is he playing university? So my coach said, if you deserve that spot, I better see you in the gym three times a week. They only have to take three Canadians. Most of those guys were Americans, and there's like six Canadians fighting for a spot, and I beat them out. I'm happy I'm there, but it's not good enough. Until I'm the number one team, or the number one player, or Winnipeg's won something, I'm not happy. And even then, are you happy? <sighs> Welcome back to the Two for Rise podcast, a.k.a. the number one podcast in Winnipeg, where we document the rise, stardom of Winnipeg's talent and personalities. There's yeah. more than six words, but thank you so much for listening, watching, viewing, subscribing. Hit the subscribe button. Crazy guest today. I think you're going to like it. Let's bring on our guest for today. He's a professional 3v3 basketball player who's ranked eighth nationally in Canada. Here to talk about his journey, please welcome Wyatt Anders. Let's go. Wyatt Anders. So many people, like I know. 20 people <laughs> in the studio. Hey, we, we are a packed crowd, especially on the 8 a.m. on a Saturday. <laughs> we packed. <laughs> welcome. Welcome to Two for Eyes. Thank uh, you. Appreciate you having you here. First of all, you walked in. You're huge. <laughs> Come Bro, I, I don't know if that's the right way to I start. Stu- <laughs> I stood next to him. And I'm like staring up like this. How tall are you just for? Six, seven. Six, but seven. usually after that statement, people say pause. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. Have you always been this big? <laughs> uh, <laughs> no. What a way. Uh, <laughs> uh, I would say probably growth spurt in grade 11. Sure. Um, after like the summertime going into grade 12. So I have to get used to my body. Maybe that played a factor on not being good enough. Um, but I would say that the height definitely helps in basketball, especially for three on three. Awesome. So l- let's, let's get started. Let's get dive into the conversation. Uh, I know I gave you a little introduction on who you are, <laughs> but if you do want to give yourself a little introduction and let our audience know what you do and where you started. That's so tough because that's yeah. like a big loaded question, depending on what path I go down. Yeah. Um, but just a simple overview is that I had no recruitment offers. Um, I had the red shirt for college uh, and I made it to a full scholarship, full ride at U of M um, to someone that was averaging a double, double and borderline all-star then went pro uh, decided I don't want to play five on five pro. A lot of guys are all in it for their own stats, just not my style. Sure. So I came back, finished my degree, played pro three on three in the summer, played for the national team, and now I'm just coaching, refing, and playing pretty much. Okay. So, so so let's go back to let's say, were you born in Winnipeg or yes? Or, so, what was the growing up in Winnipeg like, and especially the basketball scene then in high school, and talk about what that was like. That that's um, I I'm privileged. I would say that. Uh, I grew up a little bit in St. James than Charleswood, so I didn't have any financial struggles like other athletes would have had. Sure. Uh, my family was pretty set, so I do recognize the privilege I had there. But everything in my control, I worked for. So as much as I wasn't strong, I was super skinny in high school. I wasn't that talented. Like the, the programs set up in Manitoba aren't targeted for those that are potential or those that need to be better. It's targeted for those that are already at the top. Mm-hmm. So the programming never fit me. Like provincial team selections, always the first cut, easy for them, right? And the difference was I didn't go home and cry. I went home and said, I suck, I need to get better. And the biggest thing is a lot of people use it as an excuse, and then they get fueled by their support circle. And we know how important your circle is. Mm-hmm. 
So if your circle goes, screw it, man, like, they shouldn't have taken you, that's fine. You do something else. No, like, my support circle would have been just like, no, you're going to get on something better. Like, you're going to do better. And so a lot of people, like, my thought is they use excuses, and that's why they don't get where they need to. They blame others. What was that initial drive for you? Like, I know being an athlete myself, like, I've been cut from teams, man. And I've used that. And I'm like, you know what? Next time, I'm going to come back, and I'm going to make that starting lineup or something like that. But what was that initial drive for you in saying, like, hey, I I didn't make it, but you're, like, 15, right? 15, not making the teams. You're a kid. But why was that, like, drive always there for you? I I just really loved the game. And plus, I really loved to compete. So if I wasn't competing in basketball, I was competing in Halo 3, which I was the top-ranked <laughs> player in Canada, which is silly. But okay. I'm just very competitive. And I thought it was a bad thing because all my friends uh, in high school said, you're too competitive. you you got to stop, right? Yeah. But if I reflect back, I go, no, it's the opposite. I love the co- competition that I brought. But I would say at 15, it's really hard to have that mentality because everyone's still maturing and developing. And I guess I'm just someone that just doesn't give up. I love, love that. that. That's, that's amazing. So you, how, when, when did you fall in love with the game of basketball? Has it always been since, uh, since you're a kid, uh, two years old, three years old? I know some <laughs> athletes have these crazy stories. They're like, I've been shooting hoops since I was two years old, since I was walked. <laughs> were you <laughs> born to play? <laughs> Any I of those kind of stories? I, I don't think so, to be honest. I was uh, playing soccer. Okay. And I really love soccer. Mm-hmm. And I was a defender in there. And so I, I was always taking pride in stopping the offensive players that were there sure. where my goalie didn't have to worry. And that was my skill set. Mm-hmm. And then I guess because my parents wanted a cheap alternative to keep you active, like hockey is super expensive. Yeah. Usually I'm, that would be one of my sports, right, because Canada. Sure. But I would played no hockey in my life, and I skated once in my life. So a heated gym in the wintertime where it's cheap to play – easy thing for my parents they just threw me in basketball and then I fell in love with it you know I w- I'm a soccer athlete myself you know I grew up playing soccer and I still do um did you like where was that shift from going from soccer like what made you say was it just like the the, the, the money aspect of like hey basketball is much cheaper or was there like I think I'm like taller than most people on the field <laughs> I think I belong in <laughs> basketball or something like that well, believe it or not, I was supposed to be six one in middle school when wow. they did my foot-to-height ratio, like the doctors and that, but I wasn't. I, I didn't get my growth spurt till late. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So height didn't benefit me early, but basically what happened was they just put me in basketball and kept me there, and me being a competitor just wanted to be better. So I stopped playing soccer. Okay. And then, and then you went on to play – which high school did you play at? Uh, Silver Heights, which became Sturgeon Heights. Sturgeon Heights. And, and what was that experience like? Uh, what, like, what was the tryout process? Like, did you try out <laughs> grade nine? <laughs> uh, I did. I tried out grade nine, mm-hmm. was the manager. So, okay. wasn't even on the team. Sure. Made it in grade 10, okay. bench player. Yeah. Played for Tacky. Tacky's one of the hardest coaches I've had to play for because of the conditioning yeah. aspect. And I hate conditioning. <laughs> uh, grade 11, quit during tryouts. Because um, I don't want to be a part of the team. Sure. Didn't think I was in the right shape when we we're doing things. And I thought that was detrimental to the team. Uh, and then in grade 12, made the team, came off the bench, became a starter, um, and then made it to the provincial final. What Not because of me, but like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what was that process like for you, like mentality-wise? Like not being able to start, being the manager, then bench player, the not first. playing. 
as like as a as a young teen that like affects you. Yeah. But uh, what was that process like for you? I just didn't care. Like obviously everyone builds on the accolades. Like in high school, that's your social currency. Yeah. If you're a starter, doesn't matter how bad you are cuz oh, yeah. fans don't know. Yeah. All you have to do is hit 1 for 5 and you're a star. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Right? We know that. Like one You've seen teams, they pull up, they take bad shots like players and they could shoot 20% and they're the star at their school and people love them because they don't understand. Mm -hmm. So the social currency of starting, I just didn't care. I didn't care about popularity. And and that's tough for kids these days is that they think it relies so much on your Instagram likes, your Instagram followers, people messaging you, Snapchatting you. I just didn't care. I cared about winning. That's That's a good mentality to have. And then what was, like, the practice during, like, in high school? Were you grinding it out? And is that where you learned your foundations of, like, putting in the work and getting the results? I actually learned how to be a better basketball player when I went to my first year of university. In high school, I wasn't that grinder I am now where you put in that extra work and you go in the summer times. No, I showed up to some runs. Whenever the gym was open, I shot. I was part of their basketball academy. That was like my development and playing like community basketball. But when I went to university, I thought I was done with basketball. But you know what? I got contacted, said, hey, um, they saw me at those open runs at U of M. U of M used to have like a Frank Kennedy run. They may Mm -hmm. still do. Uh Um, And one of them that used to play at those runs actually coaches at CMU and said, hey, come redshirt, try it out. He loved me on the team when I redshirted. So then what happened is in the summertime – I told him I'm better than some of these high school teammates I played against. So, like, Braden Duff, who's not playing basketball anymore. Now, if I reflect right now, Braden Duff's better than me. Don't get me wrong. At that time. Not now. At that time. (laughs) But my mentality was I was better than him. How is he playing university? So my coach said, if you deserve that spot, I better see you in the gym three times a week. We're going to go weightlifting for an hour and a half, and then we're going to do skills for two hours. So I bust there and back every um, second day in the summer and grinded for about four to five hours before I played my first university season. So that's when I learned about the grind. What was that like for you being a student athlete and then making your way from redshirt to starting lineup? That's uh, only did it feel great, but the, the biggest thing was school. It's hard to balance school and athletics most people, I'd say, um, get a reality check in their first year because in high school, we we can get by with 70s and 60s or whatever with doing minimal work. Yeah. yeah. Teachers, in order for them to fail, you, you literally have to do nothing yeah. and not show up. And you've seen classmates go, hey, how did you pass? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so it's not hard to get to uni because they want your money. Mm-hmm. So once you get there, now – now you get your reality check because teachers don't care there. You're one of 300 students. Yeah. You don't hand in your stuff, you get a zero, we get your money anyways. Yeah. So that was the toughest thing is you're no longer babied and you have to learn how to study. Just like you have to learn how to grind on the court, I have to learn how to grind off the court. And I give credit a little bit to Kirby Shep, who's at U of M. And basically what he told me in his story was that he was so competitive, he wanted to be his classmates in school. I thought school was boring, no offense, but he told me he wanted to beat them out. And then Amir said the same thing, and he's like, I'm smarter than you, I'm smarter than you. 
And so now I took that off-court mentality in the classroom where I was studying to be better than every single one of my classmates. In, in all aspects of life, yes. right? And how important is being a well-rounded player both on the court and off the court? Huge. Like, that's, that's what got me um, helping my teammates for a full scholarship because because I was an academic All-Canadian, which is a certain grade point average in playing basketball, uh, the university was able to offer another teammate a full ride because mine doesn't count anymore. Okay. So originally to go on the team, I was offered a full ride, so my scholarship. Mm -hmm. But since I'm academic All-Canadian, I'm no longer counting towards how many they can offer. They can offer my teammate one as well. So basically the academic All-Canadian was a personal success, but it also benefited the team. Okay. So are, are you... Are you always set on that team mentality? Be like, I, I know you said like you had to pull yourself out in grade eleven because you thought you were you weren't fit enough for the team, and now like you're you're helping your teammates out, you're giving them scholarships. Why is that so important for you? I'm just a team oriented guy. Like, um, if you look at my full career, only at uni uh, like CMU was I the go to player. Uh, and that changed at U of M. It was more so I had the ball, but I was trying to get my teammates open. I basically looked at what our team needed for success. So whether that's I need to rebound and defend more, whether I need to score more. And if you ask any of my three-on-three -three teammates, they hated playing against me but loved playing with me. And part of that's because I get under their skin. Yeah, <laughs> I'm very good at that. But also I do all the little things for our team. I don't care about the scoring accolades. I don't care about the, the reputation. I just do what's needed to win. So if you ask any of my coaches, any of my teammates, they'll never say that I was selfish. They'll say I'll always do the things required for our team to win. Mm -hmm. And and a lot of athletes, like the person who comes to mind is like Michael Jordan. People hated him, oh, yeah. even as a teammate and against, like playing against him. But he's considered the greatest of all time, or is the greatest of all time. Was as was there any inspirations like that as a young age, or once you got into university that you looked up to? Yeah, I'd say Michael's no excuses drive and his com competitiveness that he would bang on his like like teammates' door at 5 a.m. to go golf because yeah. he lost, mm -hmm. and then he would go to the court and have one on ones and you know just never want to lose. Then there was also Bill Russell. No one here will probably know who that is. <laughs> I've heard of him. <laughs> <laughs> All I'm gonna say is that he was on the Celtics. He's the guy that had 11 championships. Mm -hmm. And basically, he scouted his teams that he's getting recruited to to see what they needed. So I played more like Bill in the sense that I looked at what the team needed and provided it, but I also had the drive that Kobe and Michael have that everything's a competition. I don't care if we're playing ping pong. I'm going to want to beat you. Of course, yeah. doesn't matter the game. I want to win everything. You know, nowadays, everything's getting soft. <laughs> you know, they say, oh, you got a participation award for just participating or you're good enough. What's your take on that? <laughs> I want to get into that because, I mean, like, I'm a competitive guy myself. Yeah. Like, I get competitive over Jenga, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, that's how competitive I am. So what's your take on, like, the winning aspect of everything in life? Everybody wins. You yeah. Know? If you show up, you win. It may be good for, like, those that are five, six, like, those that don't know if they want to play sports. Okay. Like, you know those kids that, like, get unmotivated because they didn't get any encouragement? Mm -hmm. The issue I have with American basketball is they put everyone in positions, okay? If you look at the European model, doesn't matter if you're 5'5", five five, doesn't matter if you're 6'7". You're all learning all the skills. That's why the Europeans that come in the NBA like Jokic and Doncic, they have such a wide variety of skill sets. Mm -hmm. 
America's, you could be playing as a 10-year-old and you need your championship banner. So it's great to be competitive, but coaches sacrifice um, player development for wins. So, for example, if we're all on the same team here, if I want to win, you're putting me in the paint. You're probably a guard. You're probably a small forward. And the guys off scene, they can't see a shooting guard and power forward. Now, that may get you a win, but that's not best for our player development. So when we talk about participation medals, they have a place for those that are young to get them encouraged and staying with the sport. That's their external motivation. But when it comes to uh, middle school area, no, you, you got to put that to the side. Yeah, of course. And, and you got to learn as well. Like sometimes you got to go through those failures to learn what success really feels like. And so what was the – many people play basketball sports. They just do it as like a hobby, right? They're like, oh, this is a good exercise. I get my exercise in. And even if they play in high school and maybe even university, it's just like a leisure time. When was it, when did it become like serious for you and be like, hey, I want to go pro. I want to do something serious with this basketball thing. And I think I can do it. Uh, I think um, my second year of university, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it was still up in the air. But some of the coaches and teammates I have, I've seen who went pro. And I went, I could play like that division. Like, to be honest, pro is not that hard. Depending on where you go. Sure. You could go play Division 7 Pro in Germany, which is like Division 1 senior men's here. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay, Where you pay your own way, you don't get paid, you just have a jersey on. The pro I played was in the Canadian League where you only have three roster spots for Canadians. And I beat out like two D1 guys. Mm-hmm. So as much as it's a Canadian League that not a lot of people watch, they don't realize that when I went to their training camp, it's not 10 roster spots for Canadians and three import spots. It was the reverse. They only had to take three Canadians. Most of those guys were Americans, and there's like six Canadians fighting for a spot, and I beat them out. And then ironically, like a month later, I said, hey, I'm done. <laughs> so I felt bad because I'm like, thanks for giving me a spot, but I don't want to play anymore. Why did you make that choice to pull yourself out of the Canadian League? That's the thing is that the, the, the moment was I was on the bench and the coach was like, we need defense and rebounding. So I watch a, a guy from Wake Forest. He didn't get the ball on offense, so he didn't run back. No one's ripping into him. Yeah. They're just like, hey, that's just how it is. People took more pride in getting the ball on offense, and when they didn't, they wouldn't play defense, they wouldn't rebound, they wouldn't play hard. And then on the bus, when we were taking our bus back to the hotel – they're grabbing the score sheet and taking photos of it and sending it to their agents going, hey, I almost had a triple-double here. Now, that's the nature of it. Sure. They want to get out of that league and go G League and NBA. But this is not my style because now everyone's selfish. They don't care about the wins. They care about themselves. Mm-hmm. And me being a team guy, I don't want any part of that nature. So so w- just, a, just a question. How much is that like put on the coaching and how much is that put on individual effort? <laughs> it it flips when you get to pro. Okay. Because as a coach, if you're not winning, you get cut. Sure. So as a coach, you try to figure out what's the best way to win, and you can't step on stars' egos because they can also push you out the door. You've seen that in the NBA. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Like Dwight Howard pushed Stan Van Gundy out of Orlando. Mm. Um, so as a coach, it's really tough on the pro league because all they base it on is wins. 
And you have to figure out how to get your star players bought in, and you don't want to step on their egos. You do that, they might want to leave, they might want to not play anymore, and now it's harder to win. So I would say it's on both. Okay. You know, every kid's dream is to make it to make it to the league, whether that's NBA or professional, wherever you're playing. What was that feeling like when you made it? <laughs> that's a great question. Um, I don't think I took it in like others would have, to be honest. Every time I've hit an achievement, maybe that's the downfall of my life, is I take a short celebration, then I move on. Like, when I made it to U of M, happy, moved on. Uh, got a starting spot, happy, moved on. Went pro, happy, took it in, moved on. Because it just wasn't good enough. Mm-hmm. Every time I've achieved something, it's not good enough. For three-on-three, I've been to South Korea, uh, Bucharest, Slovenia, um, the UK, all these places – I'm happy I'm there, but it's not good enough. Sure. Until I'm the number one team or the number one player or Winnipeg's won something, I'm not happy. And even then, are you happy? I, I would say I would take that like a little bit longer. That might be my <laughs> retirement because I'm like, I finally achieved everything I wanted to do. Sure. But there's always something ahead. It's kind of like an Xbox or a PlayStation achievement trophy list. Mm-hmm that you're not getting the full gamer score until you complete all tasks. And I guess I'm a perfectionist because it really bothers me until I get to the next one. Yeah. So I finish one, go to the next. Hey yo, we interrupt this episode to bring you today's sponsor, Skillshare. Skillshare is an online community with thousands of classes in design, business, tech, and more. Anyone can join the millions of the members in the community to learn cutting edge skills, network with peers, and discover new opportunities. If you'd like to support our show and are interested in Skillshare, click the first affiliate link in our description to get your 14-day free trial on us. It's quick, easy, and you can cancel it anytime. Now back to the episode. Is it always like, what's next? Like that mentality of like, you're never content with your life. It's like, you're always looking for that next level. Yeah, it's a gift and a curse because I'm not taking the joy of what it is, like that achieving that, um, but it's also a joy in the journey. Like, I do enjoy that I get to work out, I get to travel the world. But what got me here wasn't that. What got me here was, okay, I got that, what's next? How can I get next? How do I get there? Mm-hmm. And is that fueled by internal, or is that also fueled by what seeing what other people have as well? Does that play a factor as well? It's internal and external. Mm-hmm. So most of it started internal, yeah. that I love the game, I just want to go. Then the external was, okay, you guys not giving enough, like, recognition, like, I don't need recognition, but my story is different from anyone else's. The the amount of times I've been cut, no scholarship offers. Anyone that doesn't get a scholarship offer after high school basketball, they quit. Mm -hmm. How many people actually continue to go? Then when they're on the bench, look at all the people that made the team and they're only on the bench. They quit. No one went through the same path as me. So I don't get as much recognition for that until some guys like you ask me about it right yeah and so i always felt like the basketball community not everyone there's a lot of people that have supported me but like the provincial basketball association all that i don't feel like i get the recognition that i've put in but that also motivates me that they don't think i'm good enough for that fine i'll keep going i'll show you yeah i'll prove you wrong yeah Yeah. i proved my past coaches wrong i'm gonna prove you wrong and i'm gonna keep going that's that's killer mentality like that's that's amazing do you transition that mentality into your coaching aspect now that you're now you're also a coach you've experienced those things 
what's coaching like for you and why did you start coaching? <laughs> uh, it's, it's funny because like my mind processes so much. So an example is I coached a, a DMCI girls who I didn't get any practice time for them because the coach stepped away last minute, um, personal reasons. And when I joined the team and we had our first game, all these issues are running through my head. Like we can't play defense. We can't play help side. We don't run plays and I have to pick at that moment. What's most important. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about transitioning, it's the same thing on the basketball court as a player. I can see so many things that are going wrong, but I got to figure out which ones are going to ma matter the most. Which ones do we focus on that will give us the best chance to win? So as a coach, I'm also um, a little bit of a rigid person because I'll say, hey, this person can't shoot. We're not guarding them all game. You're going to zone up in the key. Okay. And I'll say non-shooter because I'll do what takes to win. So yeah. as a coach, I have that player mentality that I want to win, but also I won't sacrifice their development. Mm -hmm. So if a girl wants to go play prep somewhere – I'm going to fully support them. Other coaches are like, no, what are you doing? You're going to make a mistake because they lose a star player, which means their coaching record goes down. I'm not the type that goes, hey, I'm 50 and 0. Mm -hmm. No, I want what's best for the players, but I also want to win. Yeah. So um, I, I'd say I'm still super competitive. <laughs> I'll, I'll outwork every other coach as well. Yeah. I'll scout. I'll show up. I'll look at what they do. I'll look through game film. I'll do everything it takes. Mm -hmm. And so – as a player, you have that mentality. How do you tr how do you instill your values as a coach into the players? How do you make sure that they are also as competitive as you? I do give a typical speech when I feel like they don't want to play. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean all of them, maybe two or three. Sure. I say, hey, I'm perfectly fine if you want to do five on, five off, five minutes, um, community club type team. Mm -hmm. Just let me know because I will reduce my effort and put it elsewhere. If I'm showing up and I'm planning practices, scouting, uh, getting them ready for games, I'm putting in the effort for that team. Mm -hmm. If they don't want that, that's perfectly fine. I just won't waste my time putting in that effort, and I'll just do a five-on-five five off and still coach them. So I don't want to make them do something they don't want to do. Mm -hmm. But I'm also going to give them a reality check that going, look, not every coach does this, so if this is what you want from me, I'm going to need this from you where you just show up, work hard. That's all I need from you. And most of the time, all the girls are bought in because yeah. they know that I'm putting in a lot of effort and all they have to do is show up to practice, work hard, leave. That's it. That's awesome. So also let's talk about your three V three as well, right? So you were, you, you decided not to play five on five. When did you get into three V three? Uh, it was near the end of, uh, my five on five seasons. Okay. Um, I found out that there's this ranking points and you can travel the world and make money. Mm -hmm. And so I put a team together. Um, that team's changed faces over the years because not everyone wants to continue playing basketball. So the guys on my original roster aren't with me anymore. Mm -hmm. I have Wesley, Stephen Wesley, who played for U of W that's playing pro. Uh, I had Jelaine Price who also played pro. Um, but the biggest thing with them is they play hard. And I told them, hey, we could lose to this team that practices every day. But if we don't play hard, what's the point of being out here? Because mm -hmm. um, we don't have that luxury. Europeans have teams where they practice um, three times a week. Jelaine lives in Toronto. Wesley is from Spokane, Washington. Like, we show up to events just ready to go. 
yeah. and we've been top teams without any practice. Mm-hmm. Team practice, not individual Perfect. practice. Yeah. <laughs> so let's be clear on that. <laughs> what is that like for you? Like that process of like being so far away from each other and then just coming. Is that just natural chemistry that as soon as you step on the court, you're like, let's go, we're ready to win? Like you've put in the work by yourself now. It's time to show what we can do. Exactly. Uh, I think they're just smart basketball players. And part of it is they're very talented scorers and they're athletic and move on defense. So basically I just go, hey, look, this is what we're going to do defensively. We're going to take away twos. We're going to force them to score over us. We're like six, seven each, right? If they can do that, that's fine. They work their butts off to score on us. Mm-hmm. Offensively, none of them can guard us. Sure. So basically, when we go to those events, the reason people have a tough time with us is because we can switch on everything. And for them, they're just nal- naturally talented guys that have high IQ that buy in. Mm-hmm. So they trust my, my game plan, and we scout the other teams, and we just show up and play. How, how do these 3v3 competitions work? Do you have to buy in to play, and then what is like the prize pool at the end? So depending on what team you are, like we have to compete for scraps, which means Canada and America don't have a lot of tournaments. Okay. Europe has so many tournaments and teams buy in there. We literally have to win our Winnipeg tournament, which we've won the past six or seven years. Mm-hmm. Then we have to win Canada Quest or finish top two. Yeah. Then we get to go to a Masters to make money. Yeah. Ba- basically, all I'm saying is that like some teams buy in. Mm-hmm. We don't. We have the hardest path because America – is so out of fix with three-on-three. Three. Just because a star in Europe and America is starting to catch up, they don't really buy events, okay. which is what you need to do to host. So we have to win Winnipeg. Then we have to go finish top two in a Canada Quest. Then we have a chance for a Masters. They could play one tournament being a Masters. And why the Masters matter is because first place is forty grand American. Second is thirty grand, uh, third is twenty grand, And we've placed, I think, fourth twice, fifth once. And that usually has all the top teams in the world. Then if you finish first overall in the season, you get 60 grand. So you can make a good amount of money. And this is all American, of course. Mm. So the top team could make easily 300 or 400 grand American in a season. And you split that four or five ways, right? So you can make 100 grand through three on three. Wow. And then free gear and travel and they cover everything else. So so why did you decide to take that switch from five on five to three v three? What was that like switch for you? Way more fun. Five on five, you can run up and down, not touch the ball in three possessions. Yeah. Um, we know in five on five, people get lazy. Three on three, there's no lazy time. You go score a bucket, now you have to go play defense. There's no checking the ball. It's right. quick, 12-second shot clock, live through the rim. Mm-hmm. So you need to be versatile. Guys like LeBron, not saying I'm LeBron, would be ideal because you can switch everything, you can do everything. Yeah. Uh, guys that are very one-dimensional typically don't succeed in three on three. Okay. And and what is, like, the turnout looking like of 3v3? It, what's the hype around it? Is there a large audience base behind 3v3? And Dep- are the events packed or whatever? Yeah, depending like? on where you go, uh, Mongolia, Philippines. Like, Philippines had a 3-on-3 tournament out of their mall. So there's, like, three <laughs> levels, everyone staring. You can see it on the stream, like, so many people watching. Mm-hmm. India's basketball league, they have so many fans watching. It's only really in Canada that no one cares. Yeah. Like they held hosted an Edmonton Mall, like West Ed Mall once, and that had some views. But Canada doesn't really care. America cares a little bit just because they love sports. But if you really want to taste, go to Europe, Asia. Like they really support their teams and their events. Mm-hmm. How does three on three work? Are you guys doing like 
a street ball kind of style where you're like checking the ball and then it's half court or is it like full court back and forth? Half court, but only check on violations and fouls. So everything else, if I go score, you could run past your teammate and they could just chuck up a three. Mm-hmm. So it's fast pace. It's a lot more exciting in that sense, but it is half court. Um, yeah, I would say that uh, people don't know it much in Canada. Yeah. And are you calling your own fouls, or is there a ref? Or there, yeah, there's, there's two ref- referees okay, at okay. the highest level. Okay. There's a one referee at the lower one. Makes sense. We interrupt this episode to bring you another sponsor. If you've ever considered building a website, you've probably definitely heard of Squarespace. Squarespace is an online website web designer that allows you to create your website from scratch using a wide range of templates. If you want to build an e-commerce site, a small business, Squarespace got it all. Click the affiliate link in our description to start building your website today. You'll be helping out the show and also creating a killer website to flex on your peers. Now back to the episode. It's great. You have this great setup. I don't know when those lights come into play. That must be like some special <laughs> rise at night. Show, show them what the lights do. Show them what's up. Are they set up? Yeah. <laughs> or maybe after the podcast, we'll get it. We'll get popping in here. Special rise at night edition. <laughs> it's usually, it's in the morning. It's, it's usually morning. 9 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> 9 a.m. in the morning. We're raving in here, man. <laughs> People like the nightlife. We like the morning life, you know? <laughs> It's you know people talk about that wake up at five a.m. Mm-hmm. The only benefit of five a.m. in my own opinion is that no one's up at that time, Crazy. so yeah. no one's gonna bother you. It's no one's gonna notify you. But it's the same thing at one a.m. Yeah. So it doesn't matter if you're early riser or a late sleeper. Those are just dead times where you're not gonna be bothered by text messages, phone calls. So waking up at five a.m. just to go, hey, that's gonna make me better. It's not. Also depends how much work you put in, right? Like your time. Thank you. It, if you wake up at nine and don't do anything till twelve, then like okay, it's not worth it. But if you wake up at five and you start right at five and just d- I I I'm I'm a, I'm a five a.m. waker. I wake yeah. up at five a.m. But that's just because it's peaceful in the morning. Get to see the sunrise. I have a nice view outside my window. It's a <laughs> it's a nice view. When do you go to bed? Uh, nine a.m. or nine p.m. Sorry, nine. There you go. Right. Who goes to bed at nine p.m. <laughs> he <laughs> does. Right. So nine I've ten. I've always say those. Those uh, thoughts and those mantras saying, you need to wake up at 5 a.m. If you don't, you don't work hard. But those people that are up till 2 2 a.m. working their tails off Mm -hmm. at night because the gym's open or whatnot, it doesn't matter when you wake up or when you go to sleep. It matters the hours that you do things. So I've heard so many people go, I'm going to wake up at 5 a.m. I'm going to make a difference. No, just put in the work. (laughs) Everyone has the same amount of hours. What are you doing with your life? Mm -hmm. That's all it is. It's a great, great mentality. That's like, it comes back to Kobe, and I've always, like, listened to his story, and he was like, I've, wake up at five, go to the gym before people are waking up, and then already do my workout, eat, and then go work out again, or something, something along those lines. Do you believe in that? Like, it's, it's more important to work, and then, like, schedule your life based on that, or is it just work, 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 work consistently? It, you need rest time. So, when we talk about Kobe... Rest in peace, of course. Um, they don't realize that he does have rest time. Like, he'll wake up, work out, eat, work out, sleep. He might have, like, a one-and-a-half-hour sleep. Mm-hmm. Then wake up, do work, sleep for an hour and a half. If you think of the mentality, it's kind of silly as humans that we sleep for eight hours straight. Why Why are we sleeping for eight hours straight and then being awake for 16 hours? That Yeah, that's the right math. Yeah. When you could actually split it up. Kobe did, like, probably four hours one night, but four hours throughout the day. Because as an NBA player, you can nap whenever you want, pretty right. much. Yeah. 
So he just put in the work when he was awake. Now, there's also some people that only need five hours of sleep versus eight hours. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean he didn't get his rest. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. What is it like um, in terms of, we talk about the Mamba mentality. A lot of people like to show their Mamba mentality and not actually do it, especially with the whole like uh, social media realm. What are, what are your thoughts on like, let's just put in the work. I don't need to show anyone. Let's just like work versus documenting all that and just doing it for the for social media or whatever. That's what Wes and I, who's a, my best friend, have done all throughout COVID. Mm -hmm. Is he might have posted one story of us in the gym together, sure. um, but that's it. Because we just work and we don't care if people know or not. Um, we know that Instagram does not show your ugly moments. And some people show the ugly moments because that also gets views as well. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, it's just a fake lifestyle. Everyone seems they're happy. They're not going to post their terrible moments. Right. No one wants to see that. So it's just all, um, uh, what's it called? A fake wall, like uh, a mirror, a mirage. There you go. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's not true, but it's for us. It's a highlight reel of your yeah. life. Mm -hmm. and, and that's okay. That's what people want to see. Yeah. But... Don't base your life off of others through what you see on Instagram or whatever you use. No one uses Facebook anyways, so. <laughs> Preach. Um, how would you, like, what would you say to those 15-year-olds that are like, you know, they're athletes, they're growing up in the social media world where they'll see other 15-year-olds, for example, get like Nike deals or something like that, right? They're showing, oh, we're working, but are they actually working? What's your, like, take on that for young athletes? Be like, okay, comparing myself to others, I'm not as good. What would you say to them? First, they need a strong role model in their life because their coach or their role model should be saying it doesn't matter where someone else is on their journey. If it mattered, I wouldn't be pro right now. It's that simple. So I actually have a relatable story. But for them, it's really hard for them to get out of that mindset because that's life as it is now as a young athlete. But I always say that um, focus on yourself Get rid of the losers in your circle. Like, we know that your success is not only yourself, but who you surround you with, yourself with. So if you're surrounded with losers, you're probably going to pick up their habits and be a loser as well. Mm -hmm. So um, a lot of people that made it, sacrifice, like Jason Kidd, wouldn't go to parties. He was in the gym shooting. Kobe was the same. So if that's the life you want, if you want to make it, you're going to have to make sacrifices you're not going to like. Mm -hmm. Also, um, when... People play, like, basketball, right? Uh, when they're starting off, it's not much, like, business-oriented. No. As you get more pro, I'm sure you've experienced this as well, it becomes more businessy, right? There's more, like, a business end behind it. You're talking about, like, coaches getting fired, not, like, pays and everything. Yeah. Has the business side affected you, or have you s what, what have you seen about the business side of basketball? I had a little bit of a glimpse in the NBL. Uh, the most extreme example would be the NBA. Mm -hmm. But at that time, like, I just didn't want to be a part of it. And it's hard to play as a team if guys aren't bought in. Like the Spurs have been bought in for because the organization top down was built that way. And that's why they had so much success is people would sacrifice themselves for the system. Not everyone has that mentality. Of course. Now, you were on the CTV Sport Athlete of the Week. <laughs> um, yeah. And you can pull that up on the screen <laughs> if you, you want to watch it. But um, play it in a bit. yeah, we'll play it in a bit. But. In that video, you talked about maybe potentially taking your team to Olympics, yeah. if I'm not right, or if I'm not wrong, <laughs> sorry. 
What what did that what inspired that dream? Well, I did represent Canada and Puerto Rico. So I've always been considered as a player on national team. Like I got an email uh just yesterday about rounding out a top six roster. Uh and they're in talks about me being on that roster. But it's tough because there there's already other players competing for those spots. So I think maybe in the next two years there's a strong chance that I might be a part of the um, the Olympic squad and we just have to win that qualifying tournament to go. Mm-hmm. Um, but it all depends on how my body reacts, right? Like I could say I want to be there, but if I'm not performing well and my body's done, then maybe it's time to um, stop. Mm-hmm. I just go as long as my body will allow me. What's the practice looking like now? Uh, in terms of rest and how are you recovering and how are you practicing now? Well, I've done my own research so I could train myself. And when I say I've done my own research, I'm not searching Facebook and watching articles, Mm -hmm. (laughs) okay? Because that seems to be the theme these days. Um, I actually spent the early parts of COVID when everything was shut down and there wasn't a lot to do. I printed off research articles and went through them, read them, highlighted them to find what an optimal workout and practice plan would be for me and then i started with a base of four days a week of off-court training then i moved it to three days so i do an upper body lower body day for strength building then a speed day so working on transitioning that strength to um, explosion and speed uh, not to be too nerdy with it turning my type one muscle fibers which is slow twitch i believe to type two which is fast twitch which allows me to explode and attack quicker. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then if there's time, depending on my schedule, the fourth day would be a hill thing where I'm working on sprints up the hill, low impact, um, low frequency, but also high um, improvements or gains. Mm-hmm. And then practice, sprinkle and practice whenever I can. Go shoot. I just came from a run, got my nose hit where I was bleeding, so I was just happy it's, it's not crooked, okay. not broken. <laughs> I have a long nose already, so I don't <laughs> need it to be to the side as well. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> Wait, did you like run this morning? No. Oh, okay. okay. Last <laughs> night, I was like, the the no the nose didn't stop bleeding for a while, and I was yeah. like, oh, dang it! I hope I don't have to cancel. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally, um, I used the pinch the nose technique and held it there for like 15 minutes, and then had a great night's sleep, and then I'm good to go. That's what we like. <laughs> we love it. We love that. How are you balancing that life as a teacher and yeah. a pro athlete? Like it's not easy. Because you're yeah. also a teacher, for, yeah. for yeah. those of you who don't know. Yeah. He's also a teacher. <laughs> so what I put up, like I said on there when they asked, I basically teach all day. And in my preps and lunchtime, which normally people do to rest and talk to each other, I go to my own room and do all the marking or any prepping I have. That way I can't take it home. Then when I get home, I usually do a workout, either by myself or if Wes is in town, we work out together. Then I usually have refing. So whether it's a university game or a senior men's or high school game, and then potentially coach. So either I coach or ref in the afternoon or evening, or I do both. And then shooting is sprinkled in on the times that are free. So if I don't do both, then I'll go coach a practice and near the end, while the girls are stretching, I'll just shoot. Yeah. I'll just get my rhythm. I'll go get reps up. And that's usually how I put it in. I just sprinkle it all together. 
your your students probably think you're like <laughs> the coolest person ever. Yeah. I mean, I, I can imagine like having my teacher be like, you know, <laughs> they professional. I, I play for. Yeah. I they play trash for talk me. Do they? <laughs> they do. <laughs> they get you going. I guarantee any of them that even watch this, if they do, they know they trash talk me. <laughs> and so I asked because it's COVID. I asked the admins, "Is it all right if I go outside and play?" They said, yeah, so I took two days out of my time, and I said, look, anyone that wants to play me, we'll play. Mm. And I said, if we play one-on-one, none of you are scoring. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> I'm not letting you score. How old are these kids? Uh, Four twelve. Years <laughs> 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 They're around 12 to 13, but um, I think that's the age group, like 12 to 14, because okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like 7 to 9. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. So <laughs> I'm competitive, and I told them, look, if we're playing, you're not scoring. But if it's five, you might have a chance because I can't guard all of you. Sure. Yeah. As much as I'm tall, I'm leaving someone open. <laughs> so I've played five on one, and I've won seven zero. I've played four on one. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I was even in high school, like teaching, that was two years ago when I was teaching on DMCI, they had open gym days. Mm. And I'd go, you want to play one-on-one? Sure. And I'd play kids one-on-one. Yeah. And it's usually how you get your respect in the inner city. And that's why some people struggle to coach there because the guys need you to beat them for them to listen to you. Uh. Girls will just listen. So <laughs> it's silly because when I ran a drop-in and I went in the summers, they didn't know who I was, mm-hmm. so they didn't listen. They didn't respect you. They're like, you can't play. I'm like, check up. Yeah. Let's go. Check up. Yeah. And I hit shots, drive by them, dunk. They're like, can you coach me? <laughs> Literally, that's the next thing that comes out of their mouth. Can you coach me? The flip switch. Exactly, because <laughs> right that's, that's their respect. So if you're going to coach in the inner city, most of the time you need to earn their respect by beating them in basketball. And then you have their respect and relationship for the end of the time. Awesome. What's, the, what's the future looking like for you in terms of your professional clear, or career? Um, and any advice you can give to the young athletes that are coming up? Surprised you didn't have that question prepared because that's a really good question, yeah. you know. Um, I'm going to continue with three on three. Yeah. Now, I've got my body where I feel like I'm fresh out of high school again, where I'm very athletic. I feel I'm not saying like Dwight Howard, Giannis, athletic. I'm just talking about like for a white guy, pretty good athleticism. So, because my body's there, depending on how this next two years go. I might play in a three-on-three league or a five-on-five league. I might make a return to that type of basketball. Um, In addition to that, it all depends on COVID, right? So if leagues are going again, I don't want to go get sent home and then lose out on money. So if I get to play with Wes, who has an opportunity in China when things open up, if I get to play with him and the money's right, I will stop teaching for a brief period and go play. Um, but advice for kids, stop letting excuses allow you to give up on what you're doing. And I, I say no excuses because as I said earlier, doesn't matter if you're a player now or your circle or someone that used to play, everyone uses excuses and just allows that to fuel their, their fire of undone. So for example, you may get cut and you go, no, the coach didn't see that was good. And then you give up. Like, no, if the coach didn't see it, either that coach is wrong and you need to prove them wrong mm-hmm. or you need to work hard and play for someone else because that's that's not a reason to stop. Absolutely. And people use that as a reason. I got cut, so I, I should stop. I didn't get any offers. I should stop. And then what bothers me is those trainers that come and say, hey, if only I knew this, I'd be so much better. I would have made the team. No. <laughs> 
Do you think uh, Wilt Chamberlain and Michael went, man, if I knew I could do a zero one two step, I'd be so much better? No, it, it doesn't matter what you're teaching now. At the time, did you use what was needed to be better? So if you used to play university 10 years ago, you're like, man, I would have got more playing time if I did this. No, because there was tools out there for you to be better. You just didn't use them. So don't say that you have this magical technique that's going to make a player better. You just didn't work hard enough. Yep. And if you go height matters, I've had probably four guards over time that were under six feet. Hilarion was probably like five, not, well, that'd be disrespectful to him. But he was, <laughs> he was under six feet. Walton, who was a Canada West All-Star, under six feet. Uh, Mike Hallway, very great teammate that I have that's coaching in the States. I think he might have been six one at best, right? Then there's U of W, Andrew Cunningham. So a lot of people say, I'm too short. No, you just weren't good enough. Look at the rosters. Yeah. Short guys on plenty of teams. Even in the NBA, you just weren't good enough. You didn't put in the work. It all comes down to, like, how bad do you want it, right? Yeah. Don't use excuses. Mm -hmm. Be the hardest worker in the gym or the room. <laughs> I like that. All right. Like on that. that note, I think this is a perfect way to end off the podcast. Thank you so much for watching, viewing, and listening to our podcast. We're available on all streaming platforms. We're back on YouTube, so check out the video vlogs there. Um, and if you haven't already, make sure to check out Wyatt Anders. You never know. You might see him in the Olympics <laughs> in like two or three years. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. Um, and until next time, we're live every Tuesday morning at 11.30 a.m. on U the UMFM radio station, 101.5 FM. Oh. And until next time, peace. <laughs> Let's go. Thank Great you, job, guys. Thank you. Thank you for coming. You didn't even have to adjust my mic. No, it must no. have been loud enough, huh? <laughs> <laughs>